0: You're listening to the John Stapleton podcast. There are no perfect churches. And if there ever was one, if you found it and you went to it, you would make it imperfect. Hey, we are in a series in the book of Revelation. I started it last week and just by way of preface and recap i know some of you uh, have been tracking along with me for the past few months and you're like john technically we're in chapter six why are you starting over well with the launch of the podcast and uh, as i you know I, and just going through the book revelation i realized that the book revelation is best dealt with in larger portions larger chunks a lot of People get kind of stymied and pigeon uh when they try to go verse by verse through Revelation and now they have to deal with like all these little details and stuff like that, which is not how you're supposed to treat the apocalypse. So we're just gonna we're gonna do a survey and this week is about the letters to the churches. This is based on Revelation chapter chapters two through three. And I am not going to go through it verse by verse. I'm trusting that you have a Bible and that you're doing the study on your own. Uh, I am happy to answer questions, uh, but but I'm not going to spoon feed you. Uh, I'm here to help as you're reading through this yourself. Revelation chapters two and three records Jesus' direct words to seven local churches in Asia Minor, in the ancient Roman province of of Asia, and there are uh, so and, and these churches are in a circle, and so. They're all dealing with a lot of the same things. They're dealing with uh, political issues, social issues. They're dealing mainly with the pressure of submitting to the emperor and saying that he is Lord. Uh, so everybody that was a Roman citizen, they had to declare that Caesar is Lord. And everybody, you know like the Jews were a protected class because you know they were doing that. And, uh, and, and everybody was doing that except the Christians. The Christians were the only crazy people that were saying, well, actually, Jesus is Lord. And so they were, they were locked out of a, a few business opportunities. Uh, th- th- they had trading guilds, uh, much like a network or a union that would kind of safeguard another safeguard around your job. Christians were locked out of that. Uh, as you can imagine, Christians had no political power. I think it's just... I think it's interesting that in a day where we actually do have some political power um, that that the Christians are like, well, you know, we're just not we're just going to ignore that. We're like, we're going to make the bad people make decisions. But back then they had no political representation. And then there was also conflict from the inside. And and all these things together, I mean, there's false teaching, all these things together together. is a threat to the church, a threat to close the church, and Jesus is deeply concerned about his church, and he has some words for the church. And so we find seven churches in these three letters, or in these two chapters. We have Ephesus, we have Smyrna, we have Pergamum, we have Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Now, let me just briefly explain these churches and and what their issue was. Um, Jesus, as he's uh, giving this message to these churches, he has an outline that he's kind of following, right? He introduces who he is. Uh, He says, hey, write this to this local church. He introduces who he is. Uh, It's always something unique to each local body. And then he says, I know your works. And he, he either commends them or rebukes them. If he does, sometimes he does both. And usually, and so the commendation, comes before the rebuke. And then Jesus follows that up with an invitation to repent and to conquer. And then he follows that up by saying, let the one who has ears hear and understand, listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. And so it just goes to show that I I know some people have have taken these chapters and are like, well, this this church represents this period of church history, and, and this church is this. But really, we can't be dividing the message. We need to be looking at it as a whole because Ephesus has some things to learn from Thyatira. Sardis has some things to learn from Laodicea. Laodicea has some things to learn from Pergamum, and on and on I can go. Let the one who has ears listen to what the Spirit says to the churches, plural. And so Ephesus was a church church With no love. But they they held on to doctrine, they held on to truth. They they knew a false teacher; they could spot false doctrine, and 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 they were good at that. But they they stopped loving each other, and it's really interesting. uh, the 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 text implies that the the, the text doesn't say who they lost love for. I, I would I think a natural understanding is they first lost love for Jesus, and then they lost love for each other. And that's how it goes. You cannot be a church that just loves the Bible, but you don't love people. <laughs> the reason why we teach the Bible is because we love people and we want to help them. Smyrna. Smyrna was a small little church, and it was uh, a small little church of faithful martyrs. And so the, the letter is the shortest of all the letters. It's pretty brief. Jesus says, hey, G- uh, Satan is going to uh, attack you, persecute you. You're going to lose your life in this uh, pursuit, but stay faithful to death, and I will give you the crown of life. There are some churches, lots of churches are like this around in the world. I'm thinking of the unfortunate Palestinian Christians that are just stuck in the middle, uh, or you know the underground church in China, or you know there's tons of places where they they are they they need to lay low, uh, and and wh- wherever they're found, they're being killed. And so the best play is just to remain faithful because here's the thing. We will not be able to change people's minds. We will not be able to convince people that, hey, like Jesus is real and the Bible is true. And, you know, all these things. We're not going to convince people. Some people will be convinced when Jesus finally shows up and breaks the sky open and renders justice and rewards. That's when most people are going to know who he is, unfortunately. And in the meantime, those same people are going to think that we're clowns, we're silly, we're wrong, and they're going to persecute us. And sometimes even hunt for our lives. Pergamum. Pergamum was a place that was prone to idolatry. The Bible uh, in the letter talks about how they were uh, worshiping, um, they, they were uh, following the false teaching of Balaam. And Balaam was greedy and, 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 um, and Balaam basically enticed the Israelites to sin, to, to commit idolatry, so that he could get paid. Uh, the church is falling into the same kind of trap, because as I mentioned, there were certain guilds, trading guilds and, and such, and your life would just be easier if you were a part of one of these networks. But to do that, you had to sell out on Jesus Thyatira was a place that loved people. In fact, Jesus says, Hey, what you're doing now is more than what you did at first. And he's not talking about the amount of works, but the quality. Like you do you have been faithful, you have been doing what you, you've been doing and and, and you haven't stopped. You, you you've been good at this. But you 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 have left the truth behind. Because you tolerate Jezebel. Now Jezebel is a historical woman, historical queen in uh, ancient Israel, but her spirit, her her influence, right, Uh, her way of thinking, it has crept into the church, and now they are committing adultery physically, and they are sinning spiritually uh, by committing adultery. It's the same thing. Sardis was a dead church. They just stopped caring. They just stop being alive. And and the thing is, Jesus says, you have a reputation for being alive. Like, people think you are alive. Uh, it's kind of like the, the condition that some of these trees develop, heart rot, where it looks normal on the outside, but you look inside the tree and the bark is all rotted out. That's basically Sardis. And the rede- the, the redeeming thing about Sardis, Jesus says, hey, you have a few people in Sardis that, that, that are still alive, that haven't soiled their robes. They haven't given in uh, morally. They still are walking with the Lord. And so if you are in the dead church, there is still hope because if you're walking with the Lord, there is a spark can lead to fire. It can lead to revival. It really can. Philadelphia was a faithful little church, much like Smyrna. And Jesus says, hey, I'm going to protect you from what's coming on these earth dwellers, those who dwell on the earth. I'm going to protect you from the great tribulation. And that's given a lot of um a lot of people hope that maybe we'll escape the Great Tribulation. I don't take that reading, though. I think the natural under- understanding is, of that is he's going to protect their faith. But I, I could I could be off on that. And then the last church is Laodicea. Laodicea is the compromising church. Uh, Jesus calls them lukewarm. And it's because he's kind of uh, it, it pulling from something that they would have been aware at uh, of uh, as far as their... Um, geography they got warm water from one direction cold water from another direction it took five miles for them to get their water and by the time it reached them it was lukewarm and jesus is like hey you make me sick lukewarm water is actually the place where parasites grow you can do something with cold water you can do something with hot water neither of those are pejorative but you can't do anything with lukewarm water it's stagnant it's pond water it's where the mosquitoes breed and Jesus, this makes Jesus sick. And so, uh, what are some major things themes that we can pull from Revelation? Briefly, well, one: the Spirit of God has a specific message for the church, and we would do well to listen to that. Number two: because we all have the same pressure to, re- we all have the same pressure to reject Jesus and deny the truth. Uh, we all have, have a tendency to break up in our own denominations and groups and tribes and theological camps. In the end, we look the same to the world, and we need to remember that. We all are under the same pressure. Uh, I'm thinking of First Peter chapter 5 right now, where he says, Hey, the same trials and troubles are befalling your brothers and sisters around the world. We're not alone. Number three, orthodoxy is a road with legalism and license on either sides of that road. They're both ditches. Uh, the road is narrow, and it's a straight road. And on one side, you can say, hey, you know what? God doesn't care how I live. On another side, you can be like, "Um, God has no grace. And both of them are extremes that are wrong. We need to stay on the road of orthodoxy. Four, idolatry is spiritual adultery against God. And churches that tolerate this will shut down. Number five, Jesus has commendation and criticism For each church. And the call to repent is actually a call to be victorious. It's not a punishment. It's not his, you know, sticking his finger at you, although that's kind of what he is doing right here. Right? Like he's he's stern, he's serious. This is this is something that they need to pay attention to, but it's also an invitation to come back to God. He's not angry uh, if you come back. And then six, the warnings are a sign of God's grace because there's still time to repent. If God never warned anybody That would be scary, and a lot of you like to shy away from the prophets, and you shy away from the confrontational parts of the Bible, but listen, this is God engaging us for our own good, and so we need to listen. Let the one who has ears listen to what the Spirit says to the churches.